thinking you can scam me, if you're thinking you can make money, you know, it's just like, and, and this guy said, look, I never mentioned money. I never did. I'm just trying to tell you about the problem here. Smashing Security, Episode 72. Why are firms so crap with our private data? With Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 72. My name is Graham Cluley. I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, this is our second time recording this podcast, isn't it? I know. I don't know how we're going to make it sound this fresh. So we should explain. We did record a version of this podcast with a special guest. We did. Um... I'm sorry for them that they're not included on this re-recording, but... Um, it was just technicality stuff, yeah. For various reasons, we're not able to use that. And so we've had to re-record at the last minute. And it's going to be wonderful, isn't it? Yes. very. It's, it's going to be amazing. We're going to make up for... We're going to be well-behaved, aren't we, Carol? We're not going to be nasty to each other or bicker or anything like that, are we? Um, you shouldn't do any of that. <laughs> Definitely not. Because that's not the kind of thing we do on the Smashing Security podcast, is it? We're no. always... No, no, no. 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 Always good quality. Okay, well, we'll be right back with the regular show straight off the break. Thanks to Meta Compliance for supporting this episode of Smashing Security. People are the key to minimizing your cybersecurity risk posture, and Meta Compliance makes this easier by providing a single platform for phishing, cybersecurity training, policy, privacy, and incident management. Listeners can get a 10% discount off the high quality cybersecurity e learning catalog by quoting the code SMASHING. Just visit www.metacompliance.com. That's www.metacompliance.com. So, Krull, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? Probably, that's a hard question. I think I'd probably be a leopard. Snow really? leopard. Yeah. Like leopard skin? No, I was, snow leopard? leopards, they're big, they're fast, oh. powerful. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And you don't I mess think, with them. I think I would probably be a gazelle. <laughs> I think, sorry? Sporting your Doctor Two uh, sweatband. Doctor Two? <laughs> Doctor Who sweatband? <laughs> no, or maybe I'm not a gazelle, leaping from rock to rock. Maybe I'm... Gorilla. A gorilla. Pot belly, pot belly pig? <laughs> <laughs> a snake? <laughs> a rat? Right. Okay, so maybe you'd be something like a beaver, or maybe you'd be... No, no, no. What are those things? They look like raccoons. A skunk. A maybe skunk. you'd be a skunk. I've been sprayed by a skunk. Uh <laughs> That's happened. Anyway, look, we have to bring this back to computer security. And the reason why I'm talking about things like bears is that I've been reading about the gay hookup app Grindr. Okay. And on Grindr, which, as people probably know, uh, is very popular. It's got over three and a half million daily active users around the world. Yeah. And um, I I think we can guess that everyone who listens to this show know what Grindr is. Well... Yes. Pretty popular app. They may not all have used it. No, no, anyway, fine, yeah, fine, it, fine. It's fine. basically Tinder for gay people, I think. Um, I haven't used Tinder either, but I, it's basically a dating or a hooking up app. Tells you where someone is who might be of interest to you in their location. And you can look at their details and say, oh, look, they're a cuddly bear type or a daddy. Okay. Or, uh, they're of this gender or this ethnicity or this kind of age range, what they're looking for relationship-wise. And one of the things which you can look at um, this isn't a data breach story, is it? It is. Oh, 
sorry. Um, one of the things you can look at is their HIV status. <gasps> so if they're offering that information, which is a valid thing to offer, because, for instance, if people are HIV positive, they may only want relationships with other HIV positive people. So basically you're saying people put in a lot of personal information in these apps in order to find good matches. Mm. And of course, that data was really, really well secured, right? Well, it's not as though hackers have got hold of it yet. Okay. Okay, so that's good news, right? Yep. But what has happened is a Norwegian nonprofit called Sintef and a researcher called Antoine Pultier uh, have discovered that Grinder was sharing this information with two other companies, including not only the other personal information, their, their GPS position, their gender, their age, but also this HIV status and when they were last tested. Okay. And that information was being shared, dot, 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 via unencrypted HTTP. So the information wasn't, first, the information was transferred in a way that was unsafe. It's, it appears that it was being transferred via HTTP unencrypted. Oh, and were they allowed to send this information? Who were well, they sending this to? Well, it was ads. It was advertisers. These, or well, no, it wasn't advertisers. It was being shared with two other companies who help you optimize your mobile apps. Companies called Aptimize and Localytics. So they're doing kind of analytics on how the apps are being used. So like and, put different words on buttons to see if people click more. I kind of I, well, I, I, I imagine they're just testing the performance, seeing which bits people, which bits of the app. <coughs> Are you dying? Yes. Please don't die. <coughs> okay. <laughs> which bits of the app users might be using? I guess they might be doing a little bit of A-B testing as well as to what's popular yeah. and what's not. So it's not unusual for apps to measure that kind of thing, but is it really necessary? Right, right, right. To pass yeah. on really sensitive information, such as your precise yeah. what, location. What's wrong with lorem ipsum's text? Right, or your <laughs> or your HIV status, along with your everything else. You know, it, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? And so the concern naturally is that. Maybe Grinder is looking after this information properly in its app, but can you be confident that these third parties are being just as careful? Yeah, get again a supply chain issue. So Scott Chen, the CTO of Grinder, has told BuzzFeed, who were the ones who really sort of uh, made these details public, they told BuzzFeed that it was standard practice for mobile apps to work with companies like these, mm -hmm. and that the data was being shared under strict contractual terms that provide for the highest level of confidentiality, data security and user privacy. And I think they're absolutely right about that. If you put a contract in place, there's no way at all that security can be breached. Privacy is a premium. No problems at all. Well done, Grinder, having a contract. Fantastic. You know I what, think that though? reassures everybody. The thing is, what other choices do they have? You have to cover your ass with some contract. <laughs> Okay, bad choice of words. Um, but you do, right? You have to kind of say this, and you have to say it in a way that basically says, I'm liable for this, but I'm definitely not liable for this information. So you use very specific words to try and give you a little leeway. And you're exactly right. There's no silver bullet to security, right? Yeah. So but there you are, a but. Um, but but why <laughs> why do did the developers feel the need to send everything? No, no, I agree. All I agree. Of the it's crazy. That's the crazy. They thing. didn't even that, think. That's the incompetence. Is they just lazily send? Oh, just send it all. Whereas it should be, we'll only send the information they absolutely need to have, or we'll anonymize the data en route. Did anyone say sorry? 
Did you see anyone say, yeah, sorry about that, guys. Sorry we did this. Actually, I found Grinder rather defensive in the response. It's like, oh, you're only making a fuss about this because of Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. And they went to a competitor of BuzzFeed uh, to say, well, we've decided to change our policy. We're no longer going to share this particular sensitive information, including HIV status, uh, with third parties. It seemed a little bit mean-spirited to me. I think sometimes better to put your hands up and say okay hands up hands up baby hands up yeah. we had a data breach baby we well they haven't had a data breach yet right that's the good news and that's the important yeah. thing to underline but anytime you share data about your users unnecessarily and insecurely there's the potential for a breach to happen so you should only share the data you absolutely have to share absolutely agree and what's interesting Graham, is my stories also have to do with a data breach So what I suggest we do is we, so these guys haven't had a data breach, but I will talk about how two companies handled a data breach and figure out which one you think did the better job. Can I say after 72 episodes of Smashing Security, you're getting very, very slick at the segues. Oh, well, you know, I was born slick, baby. Slick leopard. (laughs) Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's see what you got then. Well, Unlike you, Graham, I was loosening my belt this weekend, preparing for family, food mountains, chalky egg hunts, and everything else. Oh, lovely. And then, of course, many people feel guilty after they stuff their faces over a long weekend, don't they? And many people turn to apps to get back into shape. Apps like MyFitnessPal. Oh, yeah. However, you've used MyFitnessPal before. I have used MyFitnessPal, yes. I, I've never been able to keep it up to date with what I actually eat, but I have used it to sort of measure how much I've maybe moved or typed. Yeah. Whatever the exercise I, is. I just I remembered it was a day. calorie counter. Oh, yeah. And there was there was a bit where you'd log what exercise you did. Wasn't there oh, yes. like, oh, yeah, 30 yes. minutes on the bike or yes. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, this uh, past weekend, FitnessPal got into some hot water for a data breach involving 150 million of their subscriber base. 150 million? I know, it's huge. It's huge. It's like three times the size of Canada in terms of number of population. So what kind of data leaked out? Well, we're going to get to that. There's all kinds of things of email because what I want to do is compare how these two do. So let me just oh, set okay. up. Let me all just right. set up the other. The other. Right, uh, okay, no, okay. this is contender in the right, contender in the left. Okay, okay. Right after Easter, another data breach happened. This was announced on Brian Krebs' blog, and this mm. time it was Panera Bread. Now I don't know Panera Bread, but um, people tell me it's as ubiquitous as Starbucks in the states. Yeah. And it's like a popular online food outlet um, and also has some, a cafe chain with 2,000 cafes across the States. Online food sounds terribly convenient. I, I like the idea of that rather than having oh. to actually <laughs> well, if I have, just download food. You know, we have a lot of that in the UK. People in the States, I don't think, have that kind of, you know, food order and delivery to the house, you know, on a weekly basis for the weekly shop. But uh, we get to enjoy that thing. Okay. Um, anyway, they are said to have exposed millions of customer personal details. And I know another weekend, another hack, you just talked by one, there was also the sax hack that happened. Mm-hmm. Sax hack, that's hard to say. Um, <laughs> the sax hack that happened over the weekend. But let's just compare how they weren't. So let's start with MyFitnessPal. So right. 150 million users affected, email, passwords, and username potentially compromised. Ouch. So email, passwords, username. Uh, you can't change your email, but you can certainly go and change your password, right? And of course, you need to make sure that you change, if you're using the same password on MyFitnessPal or somewhere else, you oh, need yeah. to change those passwords too. Passwords yeah. should be unique. Go and listen to our passwords podcast, folks. Good plug. Agree. <laughs> so um, the fitness app owner said last week that the accounts were compromised in February and the breach was only discovered a month later on the 25th of March. 
Now, Under Armour, that's the parent company of MyFitnessPal. Uh-huh. This is, these are the steps that I've seen that they, they took. Mm-hmm. They first emailed all potentially affected customers within four days of discovering the breach, so on the 29th of March. The email explained how they used bcrypt hashing functions to protect passwords, and it also linked to an FAQ. The FAQ was comprehensive and gloriously free of marketing spin and high-res pics. It answered those important questions. You know what I mean, though. When you're, in a, you know, when you're worried about something, you don't want them to sell to you. You really just want to have yeah. the information. Yeah. And, like, and they did this really well. What information was affected? Who was being notified? What was the company doing to enhance its protection? And they've also updated their social channels like Twitter, where they pinned a link to the FAQ at the very top of the channel. Well, that's good, because quite often they don't do that, do they? They try and hide it from their social channels. Exactly. And I, I, they have two social channels. They have a kind of support channel that doesn't have a very big number of followers. And then they have their more public MyFitnessPal channel, which has almost 200,000 followers. Mm-hmm. And it was pinned on both of them. Mm-hmm. I didn't really see a strong apology from MyFitnessPal or Under Armour. Yeah. anywhere. Um, and I really think those are important because even though you were a victim, you were responsible for keeping our stuff safe, right? So if you lent me, for example, if you lent me, um, what would I want of yours? Not much. <laughs> let's say you lent me a Doctor Who doll. I don't have dollies of Doctor okay. Who. <laughs> okay, well. let's some weirdo, you know. Let's say you lent me Orinoco. Oh, bless him. Yeah? Okay. So and or- uh, Orinoco is my childhood womble. Right. So you lend me you lend me this kind of uh, womble thing and I lose it. Okay, and it's Mm. gone. Um, And then I just say, yeah, God, sorry about that. We'll do better next time. But I said, sorry. You actually did say just said sorry, trying not to say sorry. I didn't feel terribly heartfelt because this is Orinoco we're talking about. I would be (laughs) deeply, deep. I'd just be up. What do you think about my fitness pal users? They feel deeply, deeply upset, I'm sure, too. Well, they should do because. Potentially. Now, the only thing I... So, actually, most of what the, you said there sounds quite good in the way that, in which they've handled that. The only potential issue I have is when they actually went public with, with this, which was on the 29th of March, which was, of course, just before the big holiday weekend. You know what? Maybe maybe that was a thought, but it certainly didn't work in their favour because coverage was everywhere. This mm. was a big story over the weekend. Because we do sometimes see companies bury the news don't they yeah I mean, well they I didn't succeed one company just before christmas announced some mega breach and you just thought no one's going to hear about this mm-hmm. well thanks to us announced. everyone's hearing about this one exactly <laughs> the other thing that my fitness pal could have done was advertised or basically kind of said if you want to delete your account with us here is how to do it oh, so i didn't yeah. see any of that information i yeah. just think it's a it's a good thing you know we screwed up and if you want to leave we understand i think that's a fair thing yeah. to say clear off if you want to yeah yeah Go okay on. So, you know, this is the MyFitnessPal information. Now, let's right. compare MyFitnessPal to the Panera Bread okay. problem. So, Panera Bread, a well-meaning security researcher named Dylan Houlihan told the online food store, Panera, that they were exposing data belonging to millions of its customers. Now, this explanation was given eight months ago, way back in 2017. Mm. Panera's Director of Information Security, Mike Gustavison, initially dismissed Houlihan's report as a scam. Which is really an odd thing. (laughs) And in fact, if you look at Dylan Houlihan's blog post about this, he's included a screenshot of the initial email he received back from Panera. And (laughs) it sounds like a company which does not want to be told that they've got a security issue. It's kind of like, if you're thinking you can scam me, if you're thinking you can make money, it's just (laughs) like, and and this guy said, look, I never mentioned money. I never did. I'm just trying to tell you about a problem here. So they approached it really, really badly initially, at least. 
Okay, but you know what? A week later, still in 2017, Houlihan's findings were validated and Panera said they were working on a fix. Yeah. Now, uh, problem solved, you say? Not quite. Now, it's, this is interesting aside. Apparently, Brian Krebs' source says that the Panera Bread Info Security Director was the Senior Director of Security Operations at Equifax until 2013. Oh, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking about this and saying, well, what a surprise, you know, he used to work at Equifax. I think this is a bit mean. I think people are all picking on this guy. Okay, so his initial email response wasn't that great. But the fact that he had a career before he joined Panera Bread, the fact that he joined Equifax, is, uh, which was Equifax, you know, before the details of the big Equifax breach occurred as well. I don't... it's like it's really nasty. I think that people are just saying, "Oh, look, he used to work at Equifax, therefore he must be a completely god sensitive." Can I just tell you what else happened? I've never company? worked at Equifax, by the way. Let me just stress that right now. I agree. Now, listen. Problem solved, you say? Well, not quite. Brian Krebs says that the index data from Panera's website indicates that more than seven million customers' accounts could be affected. The information included email addresses, physical addresses, and birthdays. And all this was available in plain text from the Panera website. Worse still, the records could be indexed and crawled by automated tools with very little effort, said Krebs. Did I also mention that the information included Panera loyalty card numbers? Nice for a scammer if they want to get their hands on a prepaid card. Oh, so if I wanted to sort of stock up on sausage rolls and things like that. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> of course you would. Of course it would be sausage I could rolls. exploit this kind of information. Oh, yes. Credit card numbers, for goodness sake. Sausage rolls are where it's at, aren't they? Yeah. So... So you have to understand, this stuff was left in plain text for eight months, just sitting there waiting to be scooped up. And researcher Houlihan, who initially reported the problem, was understandably pissed that the problem wasn't resolved in the eight months. So we ended up informing Krebs. Krebs' team looked into it and decided to get in touch with Panera. Presto, Panera's website suddenly goes dark for a few hours. The site reappears with the exposed data now apparently hidden a few hours later. Okay, so I mean... It took them eight months to fix the problem, but once Brian Krebs got on the phone to them, because frankly, you know, everyone has a bat phone, don't they? I and mean, if it mm-hmm. rings and you think, oh, oh, Brian Krebs is calling, then you know you've got a problem. Then you know you've got to deal with the problem because everyone will find out about it within hours. Do you have um, your popcorn, Graham? So to the, hmm? Do you have your popcorn? I have popcorn, yes. Okay, good, because this gets really exciting now. Okay. Okay. Turns out they didn't do a very good job of fixing it. And this is how it all exploded. So after they made this fix and Krebs published his article, a Panera statement shows up on Fox News. Lovely. And it kind of promotes their quick reactions and seems to downplay the severity of the breach to 10,000 accounts, not 7 million. Hmm. I don't know who I trust in this, but... So the security researchers got their details wrong and Panera bred... Saying it's not that big a deal. And then we've taken care of it in a couple hours, all done, done and dusted. (laughs) However, Twitter starts going nuts with people explaining exactly what Panera did to hide the exposed data so quickly. Turns out it's based on one of the duffest things I've ever heard. (laughs) So they placed, basically, they just added all the data behind the login. So if you had a login to the Panera website, you could then get access to all these millions of details. Oh, sorry, 10,000, 10,000 customer details, according to Panera. But, but how many details is it really? Well, right now, people are thinking it's 37 million. So it turns out that their commercial division may have been affected as well. So 
evidence is suggesting that it could be as high as 37 million customer records that are affected. And Panera being very quiet about this. I don't, I didn't see anything on their website. Their Twitter seems to have just have things like stupid polls, like how are your taste buds celebrating this spring? Hibiscus iced tea or green smoothies? Oh, but in fairness to them, if I had an issue with my website, which allowed hackers to extract information about all of my customers simply by incrementing a customer number, I think I'd think, oh, should I fix that? Or should I go and have a kale smoothie instead? Mm-hmm. You know, what? So it's really no, uh, it's no competition, really, is it? My fitness no. pal did a way better job compared to Panera in this instance. And this is the thing. Any company can suffer a breach. Any company can have a vulnerability or a weakness. It's just, it's, it's just natural to happen, right? Problems will happen. There's no company which can guarantee. Yes, I would agree that problems certainly happen. Yeah. Things what don't it, always go smooth. Yeah. What matters is how well you respond. Absolutely. And my fitness pal, from the sound of things, responded fairly promptly yep. and responded responsibly. Yeah. Um, in the emails that they sent as well, I believe that they said, look, we're not going to send you links uh, yes. for you to click on, so you're avoiding phishing. So really smart. In a short amount of time, they put that all together. Yeah. Panera Bread had eight months, did nothing. When they did something, it wasn't good enough. And the problem actually was much, yeah. much worse than they even imagined. And hey, I do a bad job and it really takes its toll. Just just ask the Zuckster, right? His uh, share price the is... The Zuckster? The Zuckster. Does yeah. he deserve to be called the Zuckster? Well, what, you think it sounds cool? I think it sounds a bit We'll censor that. And thanks once again to Metacompliance for supporting this episode of Smashing Security. People are the key to minimising your cybersecurity risk posture. You can save 10% as a Smashing Security listener off the high-quality cybersecurity e-learning catalogue by going to metacompliance.com and quoting the code SMASHING. That's metacompliance.com and don't forget the code SMASHING. And welcome back to our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Now, Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something that they like. Could be a funny story, a book they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, an app, a website, a podcast, whatever they like. Doesn't have to be security related necessarily. It shouldn't be. And my pick of the week. Definitely not data breach related this week, please. No, definitely not. Been a lot of data breach. Too much. Yeah. Too much data breaches. Well, I'm going to talk to you not about data breaches, but instead about Vikings. Okay. Yeah. So my pick of the week isn't actually Vikings because I think they've been around for a while and many people know about <laughs> Nothing them. new there. Nothing. <laughs> Topical, topical (laughs) on this security news podcast. Let me tell you about Vikings. (laughs) So, as you know, Vikings were fantastic seafarers, weren't they? They raced off to Iceland and Greenland and discovered America, you know. Heroes. Discovered everything. Yep. They discovered everything. Amazing Vikings. Apparently, their helmets didn't have horns. Did you know that? No, I wouldn't have even been sure that they wore helmets. (laughs) So, uh, apparently, this whole thing about their helmets having horns is Hollywood invention. I think it's just Hollywood made it up. Of course they did. All right. Well, there is an article, if you don't know much about Vikings, in Science magazine, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting. And they are saying that Vikings may have navigated the seas and specifically safely reached Greenland from Norway using legendary crystals. Excuse me? Yes. 
researchers... Is he's like naturally magnetic? Here's the issue, right, Crow? They didn't have compasses. They didn't have GPS as Vikings on their boats or anything like that. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes in the Northern Hemisphere, there's, <laughs> there's not, not a lot, lot of sunshine. sunshine. <laughs> or there's way too much. <laughs> and so even even at nighttime, when you're thinking, oh, you know, it'd be nice to have a moon or something, you know, there's nothing, yeah. right? There's nothing. So there is there are legends that the Vikings had these things called sunstones, special crystals, which acted as navigation aids okay. and helped them even when the sun was obscured by clouds to identify How? the sun's location. Well, I'm very glad that you asked this because researchers believe that there are particular types of crystal, which I think they, it's a bit technical, Crow. But Is they, it magnetic? <laughs> no, no, no. I okay. think they, they refract light, light or they polarise the light in a particular way. And you, you turn two crystals at the same time and you can identify a difference in the light, which helps oh. you identify where the sun may be, even on a cloudy day. So that's the theory. So now it's a they, kind of triangulation? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so you pick of the week. Sorry, well, I just right, had some yeah, exciting I, questions about I, it. I don't know if it's triangulation. I think they're doing it from the same place. But I think maybe they can identify where in the sky possibly the sun may be through these crystals anyway. mm-hmm. so tell me graham what, what's so riveting about this for you well i think i identify myself very much as, as a stone as a <laughs> as an explorer as a warrior and anyway listen <laughs> the scientists the researchers believe that they've done some simulations of viking trips such uh-huh. as the ones undertaken in the saga of king olaf uh-huh. Um, where they were navigating under less than sunny skies. And they've determined that it would have been possible using these stones to reach Greenland around about 92% or up to 100% of the time, even in bad weathers, as long as they use crystals at least every three hours. If they took longer, so if they only checked like every six hours or so, yeah. the success rate would drop to about 32 to 59%. So, Whoa, that's impressive. It is. It See, now you're impressed, yeah. aren't you? So it's, I find it quite interesting. So I love when modern scientists are trying to work out what, um, you know, our predecessors and our... our yes, it's a great use of tax money. Well, 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 I don't know if it's tax money, exactly. It's just for the greater... It's the Royal Society of Open Science, you know. Yeah, no, that's very cool. They were able to create settlements on Greenland and Iceland. It is all speculation because I don't think these crystals have actually been found in the Viking ships. Uh, but there are tales and legends of these things. And so maybe it does make sense. And, and of course, those who missed Greenland, where did they hit, Crow? <laughs> I guess they go all the way to Canada. North America. Exactly. Yeah. Something you should be grateful for. <laughs> all right. Thanks, buddy. Because I'm sure you're descended from a Viking. <laughs> and that is why it is my pick of the week. Okay. Okay. Interesting, interesting. I'm not convinced you're totally into it, but uh, <laughs> I'll ask you a quiz on it later. Okay, my pick of the week, my pick of the week. Now, yes. I have an issue this week because I have this really great pick of the week that I mm-hmm. cannot share because it is so great that I actually bought you one. Oh. And I want to give it to you before so that you can talk about it on the show with me and say, oh, my God, it's amazing. Hang on. Have you bought yourself one as well? Um, yes. I was about to say, if it's really amazing, you would have bought yourself one. <laughs> yes. Buy me one. I did. Okay. I bought us, and aren't I nice that I bought us both one? Not cheap, Graham. Not cheap. Oh, crikey. Yeah. Very exciting. You're worth every penny, though. 
Instead, I'm going to talk about April Fools because I love April Fool. And uh, there were a few interesting April Fool fails this year. I don't know if you saw the French town called Beauvray. Now, Beauvray has an unemployment issue that is higher than the rest of the country. And the mayor went out saying, hey, Ikea is coming into town and it's going to provide thousands of jobs for everyone. April Fool's! Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's jolly, isn't it? I know, I know. It's in the Telegraph. I'll put a link in the show It's a bit notes. like if you were a Viking or something and you put a boy in the sea saying, Greenland this way, and you pointed to the Caribbean. You know, it's that, <laughs> yeah. that would be it. I saw a, an April Fool which kind of annoyed me. I saw one from Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah, so he's the other one I want to talk about. Oh, Good. right. Yeah, go for it. Go yeah, because well, I saw him tweet... Yeah. Saying that uh, Tesla had gone bankrupt or yeah. something. I was thinking of Scott Helm, who had like waiting for his car, you know, to put money down. <laughs> and, he must have thought that was hilarious. And Elon Musk posted these photos of himself, sort of, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, splayed across a Tesla, sort of with a begging piece of cardboard or something. Well, he is ten billion in debt. And uh, I, I just thought, you know what? I'm just not sure that's funny. Yeah. Really. Agree. Now, so this was the one I wanted to focus All on. All right, okay. Um, it was on the Beeb or the BBC for you guys in foreign places. Um, they got taken this year live on air. This is BBC oh. Breakfast Morning host Roger Johnson and Bibita Sharma. Now, I'm not a breakfast news person. I tend to do it. I'm a Radio 4 listener, really, so I don't do the TV thing. Snob. Yeah, well, yeah, you go. Um, but there they are chatting, you know, they're chatting. It's like a sofa set up where they're chatting about the day. And uh, they're talking about um, the news that a tech firm in Gibraltar was capitalizing on the Brexit discourse on social media with a pair of emoji. The article says the firm created the Brexit bulldog and the starry blue emoji for users to have a colorful way to share their political leanings on social media. In fact, I've got a clip. Okay. This is a great story here in The Observer about how you can choose your emoji post-Brexit, uh, of course. Uh, the British bulldog there on one side and the EU flag with starry eyes. What did you make it's of this one? It's blueberry, isn't it? I have to say. <laughs> it I'll, looks like it, doesn't it? I love this story. The minute I saw this, I thought we've got to do this if we can. Essentially, it's an Italian firm that's based out of Gibraltar that is developing emojis to allow you to state your Brexit identity, to say that you're a Remainer or that you're a Lever. The one thing I really loved as well is at the end of the story, government sources indicated that if the Gibraltar-based company presses ahead with the launch, ministers might look at imposing a post-Brexit tariff on emojis. Oh my goodness. At this point, they are hook, line and sinker falling for it. But tweets start coming in explaining that actually it was an April Fool's joke. See how they react. If we could rewind five or six minutes, we might have a different view on this. How are your foreign languages? Good. Brilliant. Amazing. Really? No. (laughs) Okay, bit of schoolboy French for me. I presume Mike, who did the papers, doesn't speak any Italian either. Um, A couple of people have pointed this out. It is, of course, today, the 1st of April. This story in The Observer about the emojis that we were discussing, as someone said very enthusiastically here, is written by, if you come across here, the journalist who wrote it is called Scherzo Primavera, which is joke of spring. Oh, why did we not get that earlier? Why indeed? Scherzo Primavera. It sounds like a plate of pasta. That's that's what they were (laughs) duped by. (laughs) Yes, it sounds like a plate of pasta. You're so learned. You're so learned. 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 Anyway, um, very funny, very cute. They handled it well. 
excellent. Well, I guess I, I do like when people's balloons are popped by falling for an April Fool. Like, uh, you know, people well, you've fallen for quite a few, Mr. Cluley. Oh, <sighs> you, it yes, used you to, can I Can I tell the dear listener, it used to be hell working with Coral Terrio because <laughs> every April 1st, yeah, I would never... be so fooled by her. The most devious, evil, evil <laughs> April Fools. And sometimes Perfect. she'd have her colleagues involved. Mm-hmm. We went far and wide. You certainly did. And yeah. Well, you were you were worth it back then. <laughs> when you were young. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell, I thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Smash In Security. No G. Without a G. <laughs> we have an online store. We can buy stickers and mugs and T-shirts and things like that. Smashinsecurity.com slash store. Next week, it'll be a regular show. We should have uh, a special guest back with us. Hopefully, we won't have any of these uh, techie problems that we had this time. And uh, thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, rate it on Apple Podcasts. It really does help new listeners discover us. Yes, and it makes it makes Graham, it makes Graham not complain as much. It just makes, makes my, my life, life much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Go to smashingsecurity.com to listen to past episodes and for details on how to get to touch of a little little how to get in touch with us. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. No. no. It doesn't sound like it's a it's a second pass though. It's pretty stumbly. Oh, that's natural. <laughs> it's natural. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.